To visit a place rich in Irish archaeology, history, and traditions, I recommend you actually leave the Emerald Isle. Head out to sea to one of the three Erin Islands. They're home to historical and sacred sites, many of them from the age of saints and scholars and even earlier. Handmade stone walls and a heavy hand-knit sweater may be your only protection against the elements. The islands are known as Inishmore, Inishman, and Inishir, and they guard the entrance to Galway Bay. The price of admission might just be a bumpy ferry ride. Our guides to the Aran Islands are Irish tour guides Stephen McPhillamy and Peter Byrne. Thanks, Rick. Great great to be here. Stephen McPhillamy, what is special about the Aran Islands? There's a lot of islands you could go to. Why would somebody take the trouble of going from Galloway way out into the Atlantic to visit the Aran Islands? Well, I think the fact that you're taking the trouble, there is a bit of trouble to get there. It's not all that straightforward like, like many islands. So there's a sense of adventure about it. Galway is the nearest big city. There's a lot of visitors there anyway, and there's a bit of excitement about, let's go to the Aran Islands. You know, you're out in the Atlantic. There's three islands there. Population's only 1,200. If any of your listeners had a preconception that Ireland was, you know, where people had um, thatched cottages and um, rode donkeys and wore iron sweaters and spoke Irish, well, the Aran Islands is exactly that. That is it. It's so true. Uh, 1,200 people. Yeah, it's a very traditional way of life out there. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's moving into the, the new century now and it's uh, dealing with all sorts of problems as well because the people are quite isolated out there. A lot of the young people don't want to stay there. You know, they're in Chicago or they're in Galway or they're in Dublin. Or Island life is hard and it's very important for us as a nation to sustain and support our island communities. Does the government actually subsidize living there in any way? Government would subsidize living there through many different projects. Like they have a state-of-the-art new marina there for the fishing boats to dock because these fishermen were having to dock in Galway and if this community is to survive Irish speaking families have to live on the island they have to have the facility so they got a I think it was 30 million euro or something spent by the Irish government just to sustain and keep the island community alive so there would be Irish citizens who wouldn't agree with that they think that's a waste of too, money well a bit too big a splurge yeah but remember there's the Irish language aspect of this too they speak Irish genuinely on the Aran Islands and if the Irish language is to be kept alive, we have to put resources into it. And, and the island life, if it's to be kept alive, they need to have resources as well. Peter Byrne, 1,200 people living on these three little islands. It's pretty bleak. It's, I mean, there's hardly a tree on the islands. How can you find some charm there? What, what would reward you if you took a visitor there? Well, I think what's spectacular about it is there's a place on it that's known as Dunangus. And this goes back to... BC times, I don't know how people like to describe it, but the first of these forts started turning up around 500 BC. This one in particular is a stone fort, and what makes it exceptionally powerful is that it's bordered on the sea. You can't attack it from the seaward side. That shows you that people have lived here in that same simple fashion for all that amount of time. For 2,000 years, roughly. Over 2,000 years, yeah. And they built this fort, and it's literally on a cliff, isn't it? It must be 200 feet above the sea. It's on a cliff face, but we've got to remember that most of these forts were, in actual fact, dwellings. They needn't necessarily be a chieftain. It could be the head of a family. But they'd be trying to protect their wares. They'd be trying to protect their animals. But more importantly, it shows you that there was also a threat from the sea, even back 2,000 years ago. So they protected themselves from attack from the sea by putting it at the edge of a cliff. Now, we all think that pirates and these guys didn't turn up till the 17th and 18th century, but we've evidence in Ireland that even possibly as far as 3,000 years, there was people turning up in little phases in Ireland 
So that they didn't were, make they any were, sense. There were humble communities of farmers and families that would be, that would gather together and then make a stone fortification on the cliff, 200 feet above the raging Atlantic surf. Mm-hmm. And then even from the island side, Stephen, when you, when you approach it, you find defenses built into the rocks, don't you? Absolutely. All three islands have got loads of great archaeological sites. Sometimes there are tour guides in Ireland who don't like the hassle of leaving Galway and going out on the ferry because it can be pretty bumpy. I've gone out there probably a hundred times and on maybe two occasions it was like that movie The Greatest Storm or The Perfect Storm. The perfect or, Storm, yeah. Or it was rough. So some tour guides as a result don't like going out there so they call it Alcatraz and it's completely unfair because the island has got so much archaeology. We're talking there about Dunangus. There's also a feature there called Polnapest. It's called the Wormhole and they did some cliff diving there, like world cliff diving and it's just spectacular. Now, most visitors to the Aran Islands don't go here because you have to get way off the beaten path. In fact, they're not even a beaten path. So you're going way <laughs> over the rocks and you come to this. It's basically like um, a ledge of limestone and it looks like the ancient gods have carved a swimming pool in the rock. It's a perfect uh, rectangle. And every time the waves come in, it just gushes up and sprays into the air. And it's just m- magnificent. And the locals have claimed there used to be a serpent, you know, a sea monster in there. So that's why it's called Polnapesh, the pool of the, the ancient sea worm. It's a strange anomaly. It's an incredible anomaly. Well, it's y- worth a view. It, it is. And it's almost like a lunar landscape out there. It is so bleak. And yet there's civilization because I remember meeting a farmer that would take us and they have this wonderful way of restacking their, their fences, right? What, what is the deal with it? They don't have gates? No, well, what they do is this freestanding stone walls. And the incredible thing in the islands is that there's about 93 miles of stone walls on those three islands. It's incredible. So what they do then, if they're moving from one area to the other to save the grazing, they will take down a section of the stone wall to allow the animals through and put it back up again. And it's an art. It is an art. Not just anybody can do it. It's a dying art, to be honest. It's now, now, just from a practical point of view, there's there's three ways to get to these Aran Islands that I've done. We can go fly from Galway. You can take the big commuter boat from, what's the port? From Rossaville. Rossaville, uh, yeah, and yeah. So it's in Connemara, but an hour from Galway. So you take the bus from Galway to Rossaville, and then it's yeah. a pretty reliable, big, um, fast boat. And then there's more of a rustic ship, isn't there, from Doolin? From Doolin. You can go from Doolin, or you can go from Rossaville. Most people would probably go from Rossaville, I would imagine, and yeah. then you can fly. If you do happen to be thinking of flying, I think it might only be a 10-seater. Yeah. This is not... Yeah, uh, I did it, and it's seven four seven. It, it was really a... It's a case of up and straight down it's again. A, it's a 15-minute ride, <laughs> yeah. basically. Yeah. The thing with Doolin is, that what would attract people to Doolin, maybe a little bit more to travel, it's very much hostel-orientated, and down in Doolin, you've got the traditional music, and the it's also... The youth hostel. Yeah. So backpackers and yeah. the And Irish it's also the back music. door to going around by the cliffs of Moher. So travelling from there is an adventure. What we were saying about rough water, oh my goodness, coming from Doolin is fun. (laughs) Yeah, so if you want to be a little more, um, let's say, less adventurous and you're not not wanting to feel the waves, you can take the bigger ship from Rossapenna. But it's fabulous if you've got sea legs. We're exploring the rugged Aran Islands off the west coast of Ireland right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Our guides are Stephen McPhillamy, who also operates the Milltown House B&B on Ireland's Dingle Harbour. And Peter Byrne comes to us from Dublin. He's a driver and a guide for custom small group tours. And Erin is calling in from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Erin, thanks for your call. Thank you for having me. Um, My husband and I spent four nights on the Erin Islands for our honeymoon. 
um, in October, and we absolutely fell in love with it. We had planned to go for just one night on our first trip from Doolin, and we didn't make it because of the ferry, so we went back for four nights, and it was one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been, and what we loved about it was that we had all this time to hike that we wouldn't have had on a day trip. Yeah, I think that's vital. Um, see, to my shame, I've never actually stayed overnight out there. I've been out there because you're always there times. with tour groups. I'm there with tour groups, yeah. yeah. And I have a good friend out there who owns a hostel on the island, and I have good friends who own the B and B, and they're always saying, "Come out," and they tell me all the stories about the night before when I'm out there. They're saying, "Oh, the the fun we had here last night," and then I, I meet people who have the time to go out there and they go hiking like yeah. you've done, and they'd say it's just one of the highlights of Ireland, maybe one of the top three places in the country. So, Aaron, did you stay in the in the big town, Kilronan? No, we actually, I called in last year and Barry Maloney recommended that we stay in Kilmurvy House in Kilmurvy, and we did that. We were a little worried about it because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in the big town in Kilronan, but it was actually wonderful because they would drive us in to Kilronan for dinner every night and pick us up, but then we were staying basically at the foot of Dunningus. I know that and place. Yeah, that's beautiful. we were able to get up there at sunset by ourselves one evening and it's just that much more bleak and stark and beautiful staying a little bit further out. So tell me about being on Erin Island after hours when no, none of the tourists are there in the evening. We were there in October so it was starting to get dark a little bit earlier so we noticed even more in the morning before the ships, the um, ferry would arrive that it was just very quiet and we could go anywhere that we wanted and meet only local people pretty much before 11 a.m. We were kind of an anomaly. What are two Americans doing staying here for four nights? Like everyone kept asking, why are you here? Hmm. And we told them that we wanted to hike. So they sent us on all kinds of hikes with no map. We went to the wormhole that one of your guys mentioned. And my favorite hike was to the Black Fort, um, where you basically hike up to the end of a path and then climb over one of the stone walls and then follow along the coast until you get to the fort. And it's right on the edge of the cliff, like Dunangus is, but you have to actually walk up almost to the very edge of the cliff to get around inside of it. You have to get within four feet of the edge of the cliff to go around the wall and get inside the fort, which we did. That would frighten me. I was terrified. My husband thought it was the greatest adventure ever, and I think I followed him just to be sure that he didn't fall off the edge of the cliff. You know, I when I get to one of those cliffs, you got to think of this is like a slate surface, and then it plunges straight down 200 feet. And I remember laying down on the rock, wishing I was a human suction cup, because I get these freaky ideas that a gust of wind's going to blow me into the sea, and I creep towards the edge. And I get to the edge with all four of my limbs trying to grip this flat stone. And then I look out and I look straight down. And I'm looking down at seagulls. And it's just me and the wind and the ocean. And there's nothing between there and Boston. I mean, it's just vast ocean. And then I'm surrounded by this prehistoric stone fort. And it's one of the most dramatic experiences a traveler can have. And to do that before the crowds hit, like you did, Aaron, getting there before the incoming tide of tourists at 11 in the morning, that must have been dramatic. It was really incredible, one of the best things that we did. But actually, outside of Kilronan and outside of Dunningas, even in the middle of the day, we hardly ran into any tourists. One day, we biked even further out from Kilronan beyond Kilmervy, 
and we didn't really have a map. It was after the tourist season, so the one that you and everyone else recommends was sold out. So we were just told, take your water, and if you get lost, knock on someone's door. They'll give you a glass of water and directions back. That's so Irish. If you get lost, <laughs> knock on someone's door. I love it. Hey, Erin, did you notice that when the uh, boats came in, there were minibuses waiting to take the day trippers on three-hour tours on their minibus with a local farmer as the driver guide? Yes. We actually took one of them as a taxi to the B&B the first day, and he offered to pick us back up and take us on the tour, but we decided not to. The crossing was really rough, so we oh, weren't yeah. feeling very well. But by the way, those are wonderful f- characters, and you just get a feeling like you got a friend, and you're driving around in the middle of nowhere, and they tell you stories. It's quite nice. Uh, we used to have a, a guy who took us around called Tomas O'Toole. Unfortunately, he's passed on now, but we had so many great stories from him, and he had spent many years in the U.S. Navy, he would tell us about his time in the Navy and he'd tell us about the time when he was a kid on the Iron Islands and they'd go out in those, the, the, the traditional boat, which is called a curruck, which is a timber frame with a you know cow skin stretched over it. And I remember one day standing, looking at the ocean. It was a particularly rough day and I said, could you imagine being out there in a boat? He said, I used to be out there in a curruck. He used to go out there fishing wow. in this boat, you know. And when you're and it's, on, like, it's like a clumsy canoe, basically. Yeah, it's super dangerous. And many of them, sadly, did lose their lives. As you know, There's yeah. a lot of tragedies on the Iron Islands with the fishermen it's, drowning. It's the only thing you could use. And what makes them more remarkable is it's paddle power. But unlike oars, it's just like a pole. And they're out in the middle of the Atlantic. And they would transfer sheep back and forth from the mainland young cows back and forth from the mainland. So this is how they would bring their sheep and their cows to market? It was the only thing because it was the late 1900s before we had engines and that it was, would fit small enough and this was a natural way of life. There must have been a lot of widows. There was, but that's the way it goes. But the, the thing about it is it also could be said that the first ever CSI investigations went on in the Aran Island because everybody's heard about Aran sweaters. The Aran sweaters. The, the Aran sweaters. Heavy wool sweaters. Heavy wool. Now these families all knitted their own patterns. The lady of the house would knit the patterns for her husband and her sons and obviously the daughters as well because it was very warm in the wind and the damp air over there. But when they were out in the boats fishing and if they fell overboard, it was like having a ton weight. They were gone instantly. So these bodies might not turn up for quite some time, having been in the sea, but when they did eventually wash ashore, you could look at the pattern and identify the body that way. You knew what family it was from. And you knew what family it was from. By the pattern. Hey, Aaron, thanks for your call. Thank you. Terry's calling in from Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. Terry, thanks for your call. Hi. um, Well, my husband and I had, had gone to Innismore a few years ago, and it was one of my favorite places in, in Ireland, and really because of how beautiful and rugged it was, but also we spent two nights there, like Aaron did, and it was amazing how quiet it was. Mm. I have never been to any place where it was more quiet at night, and just, it was amazing. I want to do that. I mean, like Stephen said, most of us tour guides, they, we go in with the groups in the day, and then we go back to Galway that night, spend the night. It was great, and, and we also rode bikes around and all, but I, again, it was nighttime after most of the tourists had left, and we went for a long walk. You didn't even hear birds because there's so few trees. It was just amazing, so we loved it. But I guess my question is, we enjoyed it so much. I'd like to go back again. We rode bikes. We went up to the fort and, and did some hiking. Is there any other things that you would recommend so I can entice my husband to go back again? Well, the only thing about it is it's of a limited size. It's an island and a very small island. But one of the things that you did mention was cycling. It's an absolutely terrific place for cycling around. The main 
carrot to try and dangle in front of them might be that there's two other islands as well. Yeah, because right, Terry yeah. mentioned Inishmore, which <laughs> yeah. is the big island. Yeah, and there's Inishman and Inishir. You know, a lot of visitors to Ireland will go to the main sites and then you'll have a, you know, a hardcore elite who will go to the Aran Islands, but they don't go to the Aran Islands, they go to Inishmore. So like the the real Navy seals of tourists to Ireland would go to Inishman or Inishir. You mentioned 1,200 people live in the Aran Islands. I understand about two-thirds of those are living on Inishmore. So these yeah. islands are just a handful of people, a couple hundred people, and you'll find B&Bs. On the other two islands, there's B&Bs and restaurants. There's one restaurant out there that's got a great name, reputation now, and it's booked out months in advance. There's um, the same great archaeology, ring forts and standing stones. 2,000-year-old uh, reminders that people have been there for a long time. Yeah. Terry, thanks for your call. Thank you. Donna's calling from a town called Delaware in Ohio. Donna, thanks for your call. Thank you, Rick. Golly, it's been 17 years since my husband and I visited on Inishmore. We just happened to do a day trip there. And as Rick mentioned, there were many, 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 many buses there waiting for us. And it's just a matter of of picking one and uh, hoping that you have a a good guide and a good driver. And we did. And, of course, we stopped at Dunangus and several other places. And it was about a three-hour tour, like, like Rick had mentioned. How touristy have the islands gotten in the past 16 years? Um, well, believe it or not, they're a big draw for younger people. A really seriously big draw. One time, young people would gravitate towards Galway or some of the cities like this. But now it's become a big thing that young people... Um, it's a very good university town now in Galway. And there's a lot of Americans attend the university there too. So these people go out and it's young, it's vibrant. You get a lot of... Um, planned events, particularly off-season with these young people. So when they get their friends in in the summer, they go out. It's not a problem to see so many young people. It's absolutely terrific, but it would be a huge difference from when you saw it. It'd be almost a cultural shock. You'd be so delighted to see these people out here. Well, know? that brings it life, and that's encouraging because as in, in so many cases, the young people are leaving to the big cities, I think, as, as Stephen mentioned earlier, and there's reason for this uh, remote corner of Ireland to stay vital. Mm-hmm. Donna, thanks for your call. Thank you, Rick. Bye-bye. Bye now. You know, this conversation has reminded me how important it is when you're going to go all the way to Ireland to do a little studying and go one step further than the mainstream. And if you like Irish culture in so many ways, it seems like you'll find it in the extreme when you go to the Aran Islands off the west coast of Ireland, uh, a jump on the plane or a short bus ride and boat ride from Galway. Peter Byrne, Stephen McPhillamy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.